Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, and I'm excited about our guest today because we are going to bridge the material and mystical to awaken joyful courage. What does that mean? We are going to unravel what spiritual realism is from the viewpoint of a spiritual artist. What does a spiritual artist mean? Well, I think we'll know more from our guest today. It's Jackie Clare um, from JacquelineClaireArt.com, and we're going to talk about living a cohesive life. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Jackie to the podcast. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you so much for having me, Hamza. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm really excited speaking with you because art is so huge. Art is so instrumental and art is so different depending on a person's perspective. And so since you live and breathe that, I was just really happy to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And I, I do think that art has a lot to teach us and to help awaken, you know, in our individual lives. Mm-hmm. And before we dive into that, we just here in the States, we just celebrated – Thanksgiving. So with that out of the way, I'd like to ask you if there were two things in 2020 that you are thankful for. Yeah, so many things. It's definitely been a year to highlight, you know, everything that is true and real and and close to our hearts. And for me, the first two things that come to mind, uh, I'm grateful for my, like, gosh, I'm trying, I feel it, I'm thinking, how do I say this? Like, the the hands, the spiritual hands which hold me in this life, like, I've just felt very protected and loved, um, just the beauty of where I am and my family nearby and stuff, so I've just, I've felt this very wholesome sense of spiritual support that I think in other years I've been more distracted and not really you know, paid attention to that. And then also mm. grateful that I had the time and the focus to finish my spiritually empowering children's book called Noble Beings, which has been burning in my heart for years and kind of worked on it piecemeal. But this year, finally, it was like, okay, this this is my task. And mm. I completed it. So that's thanks. It's like my COVID baby. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> I want to stay there for a second because you said it's your COVID baby. And um, usually when there's a huge universal change, like a 9-11 or something related, everyone kind of goes back and resets and reevaluates. And so at that time you had uh, 9-11 babies nine months later. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember when Prince had transitioned, (laughs) nine months later there were some Prince babies. Which is kind of funny, mm-hmm. and then oh, wow. but this year grieving the loss of Prince. <laughs> right. Well, no, it's just at that point. I mean, it's just you yeah. have such a, a range of emotion, and mm-hmm. but this year is different because COVID is ongoing, and mm-hmm. their projection, their project uh, experts are pro, um, projecting that less than half a billion babies will be born in the next following year because of COVID and they're not going to have children. And so 
you have your book done now, but I wanted to get your take on uh, everyone's thought process of, of holding off on having babies at this time. I actually hadn't heard that. I mean, I haven't really been following, you know, the, the birth news. Um, <laughs> but I, I understand that, like, I mean, that makes sense from one perspective, that maybe people aren't meeting people or they're not getting married um, or it's just too uncertain of a time and hospitals and all that stuff. But on the other hand, it seems like, what else is there to do? And um, <laughs> if, you're, if you're stuck at home and all that stuff, Um, I mean, I totally understand it, that people would choose to hold off for a time that feels less uncertain. But on the other hand, um, I I certainly hope people don't hold back from living their lives fully as Mm -hmm. much as they can under the circumstances. Right, because with, with the spiritual realism, and we'll get into that, but a lot of it is having faith in the unseen. So... Like you said, this year you had uh, you felt the protection and support. It may have not been physical, or was it? How how did you come to the conclusion that you had the protection and support this year more than others? Well, being home, and I happen to live in a really beautiful spot. I'm on the river in a little town in Texas called New Braunfels, and you know I've just you know, it's been one of those years where you have to appreciate the simple things. And mm-hmm. though I live in a, I think, strikingly beautiful place, like to look out the window and just deeply appreciate it is in essence a simple thing. And I also share an art studio with my mom. So it's been great to like have, you know, friendship and family very close by. Um, so those those are some of the like actual practical things, and then and then it's just been a spiritual sense as well. Mm-hmm. And you were raised, I believe, uh, in Texas, and mm-hmm. so uh, you had mentioned ten years in Austin, and, and you're still in Texas. So I, I wanted to get your take on the mass uh, exodus from other states like California two states like Texas. Are you seeing a big Mm -hmm. change there? Yeah. It's so funny. Uh, There was some TV show a few years ago, and there were some characters from Austin in the show, and like in scripted. And somebody says, like, oh, you're from Texas? And they're like, no, 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 we're from Austin. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny. Austin is very much like that. So it's, it's funny. You said I... Jackie, you grew up in Texas and you lived in Austin. These are both true. Um, and Austin is in Texas. But I've also lived in California and stuff myself. So it's kind of funny. I actually moved back to Texas in 2017 from California. So I'm both like native Texan and a Californian interloper. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Oh, gosh. I mean, everywhere I've ever lived or traveled, there's something I really loved about the place, both, you know, the environment and the people. So I love California. Um, but I, I, do, I do see, like, personally, Austin has become sort of the commoditized version of what it was when I lived there back in, like, starting in 2014. Like, it's kind of, paved paradise and put up a perfect Disneyland replica that you have to pay to get into kind of phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that happens when places um, 
very quickly become sort of marked as like a cool spot or a hot spot or a good place to be. And then you have this like tons of like money pouring into it and like, which is not bad. I want every economy to thrive, but where it kind of robs it of this intrinsic spirit and it becomes just the super posh polished version of it. So Mm. I have seen that happen a bit and I personally don't like it. Um, mm-hmm. To be very, to be very honest with you, um, but I also understand why, especially right now, people would want to leave places that are super duper restricted and stuff. Mm-hmm. And as you were talking, I'm a surfer, or you know, on the weekends, but it it reminded cool. me of. Costa Rica, and it's kind of that same sentiment where it was, you know, once a hidden treasure, but now it's like you said, it's been commoditized, and so it's kind of lost a little bit of its luster there. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like we love something when it's a hidden gem, but then when it becomes right. commercial, then it's time to leave. <laughs> I do relate to that. I really do. <laughs> Yeah, it's especially as an artist, because you, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but for feeling art, in all the places that you've gone, um, I was just reading some a little bit about you, and, and you were saying you were inspired. Uh, one of the places that you were inspired was New Orleans. And so I, I wanted to talk about a little bit of, of what was life like in New Orleans? Why was that a pivotal point? And was that the the part where you decided that, hey, I'm going to be a true and living artist? Mm, Interesting question. So I moved there in 2010, and it was right after the Gulf oil spill. So it was an interesting time to be there, kind of certain similarities to what we've all felt this year, where it was like this collective sense of like, waiting for another shoe to drop or like how bad is this going to get you know what's happening and um and at the time my main artistic and professional focus is actually acting uh louisiana off and on has had a really vibrant film scene and Mm. um but i i moved there with my mom and one of the things that we did to just like help make ends meet we were doing eco-friendly murals in people's homes and in businesses. So a house paint that doesn't have chemicals in it. So it kind of aligned with, you know, people's growing concerns during the Gulf oil spill. And, you know, my mom is an artist. Most people in my family are very creative. I've always grown up around it. But, um, but, So I was doing that. Like I was working with her just because it was practical and it was fun and it was something we could do, uh, we could offer to the community there. But I didn't really realize at the time that I was really sort of laying a foundation for what would be my future art career as a painter, you know? So that really was pivotal, pivotal. I just wasn't fully aware of it at the time. And I think life is like that a lot. Like hindsight is, 2020, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's so weird, especially this year, because uh, everyone is saying 2020 vision. And mm-hmm. usually when you look back, you're like, oh, that made so much sense. But when you're going through right. it, you're like, what is going on? <laughs> 
And yeah. uh, they are known in New Orleans for having a, a spiritual community. So were you a part of both communities, or were they? It, was there a great interaction between the art community and the spiritual community? Hmm. Yeah, it, it is a place with a whole lot of soul, and you definitely feel that. I mean, I think anyone who's, who's walked anywhere in New Orleans knows that. Um, you know, I'm a member of the Baha'i faith, and so, like, I do have a, you know, very intimate spiritual community kind of wherever I go. There were Baha'is in New Orleans, and that was one of the reasons why I moved there you know, to have a spiritual community, it's really to have a sense of family everywhere, even if you've not met the people in person before. Um, but, you know, I I felt that the arts, New Orleans arts feel very integrated into, like, the spirit of culture. But I've found places like Santa Fe, the arts, are more directly tied with like a sense of spirituality and they're related but they're a little different. Um, mm-hmm. So I never really thought of the arts in New Orleans as particularly spiritual but more like spirit-head, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, the, the reason why I was asking because lo- at looking at your site and, and some of your paintings, there are a lot of moon focuses, so mm-hmm. or there's a huge focus on the moon, and I wanted to know the the reason for that. It's such a good question. I love the moon on so many levels. It does have this, to me anyway, it does have this sense of feminine energy. There's this this quiet, enveloping glow to it, and there's this sense of being watched and protected and the moon sort of helps me remember whatever I'm going through in my life right now or whatever the world's going through right now in 2020 you know the moon has been there looking watching down on us for centuries and has seen so much you know trial and travail and joy and celebration like it seems so much and it kind of helps put things in perspective and it's also that wonderful reminder like you know the seasons and everything but the cycle of the moon is shorter than the season that you know Mm -hmm. that sense of things changing but also kind of following a certain rhythm and staying the same at the same time you know it's a paradox but it's true you know um so it's for me it's just a good reminder of kind of like writing the course of life um but i'm i'm always open for the symbols in my paintings meaning something else to other people you know but that's what it means to me mm-hmm. and and keeping with your your art the the trees and they seem to be leaning towards the moon. And I thought it was really interesting because usually trees lean towards the sun. And so I didn't know if there was that juxtaposition there or it just so happened that all the trees are leaning to the moon in your, in your images. 
Yeah. A lot of these things are not intentional. And it's very funny because, you know, people be like, wow, you know, why are your moons almost always on, you know, the right side, you know, and it's like, heck, if I know, I didn't even realize that. You tell me. Um, but I also love trees that to me, they also have that, that sort of still wise energy of nature and they're, you know, grounded, they're rooted, but they're reaching towards the sky. And often to me, they look like they're in suspended motion, you know, trees have a wonderful sense of movement, even if they're completely still. And just all of those elements are bring me a great sense of peace, you know. Um, you know, we there's like modern art and contemporary art, and I've sort of jestingly thought, you know, well, I want to call my work present art. Like it is a call for you to take a breath and be present in the moment. And all of those symbols of nature really help, you know, do that for me. This year, you were talking about the simplicity. Uh, I wanted to get your take. Uh, for, for me, to give you a little background, it was around the end of March, early April, and I started seeing these global, I guess global phenomena, where people were sharing photos of or videos of animals coming into the city, like lions running through the city or animals you don't normally see. And mm-hmm. it was a, a reminder of, <laughs> or a humbling reminder, that as as high and mighty as we think we are, that if we're not even here, the earth is still going to be okay. And mm-hmm. I wanted to get your take if you noticed that as well, and does that reflect any of your future images? Mm, wow, that's so interesting. Man, I, I haven't seen the lion running through a city. That's pretty scary. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for sure. I think the earth is probably much older than than we currently are calculating it. It's just my personal feeling and belief. And I, I definitely think that, uh, you know, the earth is full of life and that will triumph over, you know, whatever mess we humans might make of it. But I think that we humans have a great capacity that we have not fulfilled yet, we have not tapped into, but to really be a binding force to bring all of these elements into harmony, you know, that it isn't sort of us against nature, but that there's a way that we can learn to work with nature and natural rhythms to enhance the health and beauty of the earth and enhance the quality of our communities and our lives. So I am still rooting for us to mature as a species and fulfill this destiny. I think I think if Earth's slate was wiped clean of humans, it would be it would be like too bad. You know, like I'd like I'd like to see us um fulfill what I think we're we're meant to as a species, which is the the upliftment of the world, not the conquering of the world. Absolutely. 
And when you were talking about New Orleans, and I was kind of fishing for inspiration, and and, and some of those inspirational people that you had highlighted was uh, what I always call my favorite uh, language teacher in high school, and that would be, uh, (laughs) um, what's her name, Uh, Carolyn Mace. And then Mm -hmm. another person that you had highlighted was uh, Marianne Williamson. And you... In your art, in your spiritual realism, you're bridging the material and mystical. So I, I wanted you to kind of go what you were just saying about hopefully we're still here. What are what would you say as an artist that we can coexist with nature and still appease big business? Because that seems where the biggest disconnect is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. What I, gosh, such a great question. Um, you know, if I believe that the only way to create sustainable change in the world for the better, it's not going to be like policy first. It's going to have to be a change in the hearts of people. Um, and the best you know, way is to, you know, help children develop a, a sense of a moral compass and concern for the earth and other people. Um, but sometimes grown-ups can, can transform as well. But I think when people are put truthfulness and being, you know, having integrity above, you know, a need to boost their ego or have, you know, the fattest bottom line or whatever it is that seems to lead people to disregard the earth or the well-being of other people. When that is changed, when people then want to make the world a better place, well, then we can pursue business and art and advancement um, in a way that is where we're always using our intelligence and our capacity to search for the solutions that are going to serve the higher good. So I think I'm giving you kind of an abstract answer, but it just it starts with a spiritual and moral change in the hearts of people. And then we won't have to, like, you know, regulate so much because, there will be an intrinsic motivation <laughs> uh, for people to, to um, you know, use their interests, again, whether it's building business. Some people have a great talent for that. It's, that's not a sin. That's a talent, you know, if it's directed mm-hmm. in the right way. Or people mm-hmm. who, you know, can help bring people together, educate children, or are scientists or doctors, like all of these things. Uh, can be applied towards the betterment of the whole when when that's the main motivation and not ego and and greed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and when you talk about this year and how you've had that sense of support and protection, uh, it gave you a sense of confidence, and you maybe were more empowered. And it seems like for other people I've interviewed or just talked to outside the podcast, that's where they find their, their sense of confidence and grounding. How does that contrast with ongoing news that is more fear-based? And mm. do you think there's a way that we could reach that 
feeling of protection and grounding when we're constantly being fed a diet of fear? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. And that's a good way to put it, a diet of fear. Um, I definitely believe in being informed to the extent that feels relevant or necessary to you. Um, I've sort of found this year that, like, if I'm following events of the world, like, minute by minute, it's very stressful. And sometimes, you know, it takes, you know, 36 hours or a week or whatever for like the dust to settle and you actually like kind of know what happened or how this is unfolding. So for one, I don't think we need to be plugged in all of the time. You know, it's like if you were baking a cake and you had like a sports announcer giving you a second by second, you know, well now it's just a bunch of goo and this doesn't look very good. And, you know what I mean? It's like just chill out, just let the cake bake, all right? You know, now it's mm. bubbling. And um, so I also think that you know um, another one of my inspirations is Clarissa Pinkoli's essays, and she wrote Women Who Run with the Wolves. Who was like it was like a big book in the late nineties, and I. I was exposed to her as a kid, and she talked about television being like a sewage system that we have Mm -hmm. plugged into our living rooms. And and she used the SHIT word. She was like, we're literally like having this stuff like pumped into our rooms, our living rooms. And that made a really big impression on me. And, you know, I've been involved in media, and, you know, it's certainly not all bad, But it's nice to have a healthy dose of that, to, like, remember, you know, this isn't all wholesome, this isn't all good, and it's certainly not always truthful, moral, ethical, meant to serve my highest good. Sometimes we're trying to sell a pharmaceutical, you know, like. um, So it's just good to keep that in mind. Um, And another thing, going in a totally different direction, that I have found to be very powerful Um, if you are a person of prayer to any capacity, even if it's very informal, a prayer that I have found has like rocked my world so many times is just to ask to have fear removed. Like just ask, you know, like please take away my fear, the fears that hold me back, the fears that are false. And also please show me what is the reality of this situation? You know, like whatever that situation may be, but like ask to be able to discern what's true um, and also ask that you be able to handle it too because sometimes it's like kind of like, oh, why did I, why did I ask this? Um, but it's always better to, um, to feel like you're seeing clearly even if it's, you know, hard. It's really funny to watch people always say cancel, cancel, or forget, forget, because they realize uh-huh. how powerful those words are. And they're like, I didn't really mean mm-hmm. it. So. <laughs> yeah, true. Our words are so powerful. Be careful what you wish for, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, be, be mindful uh, about what you wish for. Well, it it doesn't seem like it all the time, but one of the biggest Mm -hmm. things is that the creator has the greatest sense of humor, 
And for if you want to yes. make the creator laugh, make plans. So uh, I'd like for you to give a, if you can give a specific example, that would be great. If not, that's also fine. But the spe- specific example of, oh, yeah, the creator has a sense of humor, but I have this deadline for a mm-hmm. canvas that I need to design, but I am not getting any inspiration whatsoever. So have you ever had to... Uh, force something where you're used to just allowing it to happen? Um, let's see. It, the creator does have a great sense of humor. I do get you that. And usually it's it's uh, not aligned with our sense of humor. Right. Um, <laughs> that's what I found. I bet you're getting a great kick out of this right now. Um, you know, the way I work, um, I work in a lot of layers, and I use techniques that just help get me going. So I, I have run late on deadlines before, but I don't usually suffer from like a painter's block because I, I can trust enough to just get started, and usually the painting will guide me. So... Um, so that really eliminates the, you know, sort of the <gasps> how to, where do I even start, you know, because I start by just starting and then something always evolves, fortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah. other side is that you're, you're doing canvases for adults, but you also do children's illustrations. So I mm-hmm. wanted to know you were, if there has ever been an instance where you were working on a canvas and you had inspiration to do that, but nothing came through but illustrations for children. <laughs> no, no. It's, they're pretty distinct, different art forms. Um, though I do sometimes, like, so all of my children's illustrations start by hand, just pencil and paper, and then most of them I then take in digitally color. And I do sometimes there's like a little moment of disconnected reality when I'm then in the painting studio and I'm like, oh, I can't just like, you know, I can't just delete. I can't just like, you know, undo what I just did or I can't just like drag and drop a color. You know, it's like, you know, I I get sort of spoiled in the digital world and then versus the, you know, the painting world. but yeah, I I haven't struggled with with kind of you know having the wires crossed otherwise. Okay, no, just thought I'd ask uh, because the the other side of that, since you were bringing up the digital side, um, mm-hmm. I in a in a previous life I worked at an architecture firm, and before working there, I had never seen any being any human being walk up to a building and kind of just in a way caress it like they would just especially if they designed it right there's that there's that connection and I know with with your art or at least pre-COVID you do a lot of interaction or you encourage Mm -hmm. interaction with your art Mm -hmm. so I wanted to know do you you feel that way with are these all personal like from your essence this is my personal art and how do you deal with that interaction now that we have to socially distance Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Before COVID, I did have live exhibits where I integrated 
storytelling, spiritual storytelling, and facilitated conversation and stuff with the artwork. And we use the artwork not so much tactile. Sometimes I guess people would touch it, but more so just as a visual jumping off point to explore different spiritual topics. And the art is great for helping elicit personal associations and that sort of thing to help people think more with their heart than just like think intellectually and you know what what am I supposed to say right now but kind of have their own insights um you know I have a really unique relationship with the artwork that I am privileged to create um it's not at all trippy. Like my process is not like I light incense and go into a trance. Like it's very <laughs> much I'm, I'm showing up for work and I get tired and sometimes I get frustrated. Like it's definitely me showing up to do the labor. But I, the, the paintings always win. Like they never let me just impose my will on them. They always ultimately... Mm-hmm make me surrender if that's what I have to do. And they end up becoming what I think they were meant to be. And I sort of see it more like I'm sort of like a carpenter carving out these windows into some vision that we then all get to look at. But it's not me constructing the vision. I'm just sort of making the portal. Um, And as such, when a piece is done, um, even though it's like, I've been like wanting it to be done. You're like, oh, I just, you know, I want to finish this piece whenever. Once it is, I, I don't really feel like it's mine. Like it's the funniest thing, but I oftentimes like don't even really have clear memories of even working on the piece. Like even though like my mom will remind me like, oh yeah, you had a freak out when that, you know, technique went wrong or something. And I'm like, oh yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I once they're done, I'm like, oh wow, that's cool. Like who made that? That's neat. Um, and I'm even starting to feel that way with my book, even though my children's illustrations are a little bit more like my specific vision rather than me just opening up. But it's starting to feel like it's, it's the thing that belongs to the world now. And I was privileged to spend that time with it. But it's, it's, um, it's like once my babies are grown, they're grown. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think you just out, uh, highlighted a perfect example of co-creating. And mm. when you have that co-creation, it seems like it, that's when it's, there's no accidents and it comes out the way it's supposed to turn out. And I, I wanted to ask if that was a bigger picture of, of, of your life. I mean, I remember, or I don't remember, I wasn't there, but just reading. You <laughs> with the, <laughs> we've known each other in previous lives, maybe. But okay. in this life, you had the reams of paper, you were always drawing, and then you were like, mm-hmm. uh, you had, it, it felt like you distanced yourself from being an artist and you were, had the acting bug, but it seems like you mm-hmm. have gone back to the art, or mm-hmm. do you marry the art and the acting together? Hmm. Well, they, they have found each other, which is pretty neat. When I, when I transitioned to the art back in 17, 18, 2017, 2018, 
I didn't really think I would go back to acting, but acting has worked its way in with my my live shows, you know, BC before COVID and um, my public speaking and stuff. So it has worked its way in, which is really cool. Um, yeah, again, it's kind of that how life kind of comes together. You just keep taking one step forward and and the pieces sort of find each other. But, it, you know, we didn't have an official marriage ceremony. <laughs> That's <what you're> <laughs> sure. And, and what, what pre- I'm going to use that too, that BC, before COVID, it, it didn't uh-huh. feel like there was this spiritual accelerant. And so, oh, yeah, it'll happen, and it may have been a lifelong dream, and it, it hit the back burner for 10, 15 years, family, mm-hmm. career, what have you. Uh, but 2020 is the accelerant, right? And so what would you say to someone that has, had the ream of paper when they were their child, but now it feels like, quote, unquote, real life is in the way, mm-hmm. but a part of them is missing? How, how would they mm-hmm. make that leap into doing what they love? Mm. as an artist. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, it's kind of cliche, but it really is a matter of just making the decision. Like when when it's like, oh, one day I want to write a book, you know, I get it. I've been there. I've so been there. One day it's going to come together. Well, 2020 was our reminder that Today is the day because tomorrow could look very different. Like we have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. And it's always been that way, but it's become very obvious this year. So like when I finally decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to finish my book, I gave myself two months. I was like, okay, next two months I'm cleaning the slate and I'm going to finish this book. And, of course, it took a lot longer than two months, but I was already, like, in knee-deep by then, so I just had to keep going. So someone may not be able to commit to a a chunk of time like that, but I think you could find what feels authentic and works for you. Like, um, okay, I'm going to, you know, by next month, I'm going to have a studio space set up or I'm going to sign up for an online class or something, um, because though it is true that life has this magical element and things do, you know, evolve in ways that you don't expect, when there's something that's in your heart, that is your responsibility, and you have to honor it, and you have to be the one to make it happen. And then the muses will come in and play, and it'll it'll evolve and be something even cooler and better than what you could have done on your own, but you have to show up first. Mm-hmm. And show up you did because I believe before we started recording, you were telling me about an upcoming deadline for your book, yeah. and I'd like for you to yeah. talk about that. Absolutely. So my children's book, Noble Beings, Spiritual Handbook for Children, of all ages, which of course includes all of us because we all were children once and have an inner child within us and we never outgrow our need for spiritual guidance. It's an illustrated book, 39 quotes from the Baha'i writings on 
topics like our spiritual nature, like who we truly are and how to live, how to treat others, how to pray. Um, so this book, Noble Beings, I released it for pre-sales last month. And the final day to order is December 8th um, for these first edition signed hardback books. So yes, if anyone is inspired or intrigued, I do hope they check out Noble Beings and December 8th at 11.59 p.m. Central Standard Time is the deadline to order. It, it sounds like, I mean, that is the art world, right? You don't want, you want one of a, of a few, not one of 3,000 mass-produced. So after this deadline, will the book go away or will it uh, have that mass production in the future? Right. So it's all self-published and it's made in the U.S. Uh, by a company that's in California and Utah. So I'm doing it all myself. And all I can guarantee is this first run. Um, it's only 500 books. I do hope to offer this in the future, but I make no promises. And I don't know exactly when or how or whatever. Um, so if people are moved, I would encourage them to get it now. Um, it, you know, and it's true what you say about, about art. Um, the book, I think it holds keys for what we were talking about earlier about like how to actually transform the world, make it a better place. Like I truly think that it can impact people. So I would like it to, you know, sell a gazillion, jillion copies. Um, but until maybe I partner with, you know, a publisher or something, I don't know if that's possible. So right now it's just, it's just um, you know, a small-scale thing. And uh, so that's why I did the Indiegogo version for selling it. Uh, no problem. And in addition to that, if, if people love moons and other inspired art that is created by, from you, by you yeah. or co-created by you and, and your co-creative uh, higher energies, how could they get in that. touch with you? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. It, how could they get in touch with you to learn more information? Yes, well, I would love it for them to get in touch with me. My name is Jacqueline Clare, and everything's spelled the traditional way, and my website and my Instagram and Facebook handles are all Jacqueline Clare Art. So JacquelineClaireArt.com, Facebook, Instagram. And those are the best ways to find me. And on my website, you can sign up for my email list to get some perks and behind-the-scenes things. Awesome, awesome. Well, you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And Jackie, it was a pleasure. Let's stay in touch. Thank you, Hamza. This is great. Thanks for having me. Cheers. We done?